Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to The Ruck. I'm Stuart Barnes. As is always the case, when things have gone bad, I get called on to host the show. Yes, it's the eel of rugby union. Well, almost. Jonesy takes that to another dimension. The brain hero of rugby journalism, though, is not with us today, but he'll be back soon. Joining me are Owen Slot, still in Cape Town and still looking good. Owen, how are things with you? Well, um, I have to say I'm a bit battle-weary, Barnsley. Um, it's been uh, a very trying test series, as I think we all know, but bloody hell, Cape Town looks wonderful this morning. It's 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 in the depths of winter, and it's beautiful and it's sunny, and, and unfortunately I've got some work to do today because all I want to do is sit out in the sun. Lawrence Dialio also joins us. Lawrence, of course was one of the heroes of 1997. I watched that second test back before the first test last week. And frankly, yes, the winners do write history. The Lions test team defended for their lives. They were lucky to win the match. As I said before we went on air, the one thing that struck me was the incredible defence of the Lions, spearheaded by our old mate Scott Gibbs, but more than anyone, Lawrence Delalio. Uh, Lawrence, this Lions Thanks, team... Barnsley, Barnsley, Barnsley. Was, yes. Lawrence, was, was Lawrence in that 97 team? <laughs> it was, it was the hero. Never, you would never know that, would you? Lawrence, you should make a little bit more, a little bit more um, publicity out of that. Uh, you, should, you, you could have had a decent media career on the back of being on the 97 tour. <laughs> now listen, Scotty, if I'm going to host this, you've got to let me finish my sentences. All right, Lawrence, <laughs> we got in that plug. You owe me about, uh, what, a decent bottle of Pomerol. Uh, let's get on to this Lions tour now. Um, it didn't work Saturday. In the end, unlike your team, they were overwhelmed. Yeah, first of all, um, if we just cast our minds back to 97, um, I grew up playing rugby with the ball. I didn't realise that you spent you could spend the entire game without the ball. I touched it four times in that test match, and I think that was by mistake. Um, so, yeah, listen, it was a, uh, uh, you know, it was one-way traffic and quite how South Africa conspired to lose that game. Uh, well, I mean, I had to buy Percy Montgomery a bottle of red after the match. No, no one else. But the uh, the reality is that before the test match this week, uh, last weekend, um, I had the words of Ian McGeekin ringing in my ear. 
there's only one thing more dangerous than a springbok, and that is a wounded springbok. And uh, there's no doubt that they were hurting after that first test, um, and uh, and and they were co- they were going to come back with a lot more. But um, they certainly they, the Lions did everything they 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 needed to do apart from score <laughs> a decent try in the first half, um, you know. And I thought they'd weathered the storm. You listen to everyone, anyone who's played rugby uh, uh, or, or watched a decent amount of rugby, you think, right, well, we know that the Springboks are going to come at us. Um, and if we can weather the storm um, and get to sort of halfway through the first half and, and still intact, then uh, then we've got a great chance. And that's what the Lions did. Uh, unfortunately, um, they tried to sort of play the South Africans at their own game. Um, and the South Africans just turned up with a much better game this time. We know what they're like. They're, I mean, it... Without offending anyone, they are like a bully in the sc- when you when you go to school. And if you if, you, if you're going to be bullied, then no one does it better than South Africa, really. But if you're prepared to stand up to the bully and and and, and you know be brave and courageous, and and at times when you get the ball, do some smart things, then you know you've got a great chance of winning. But I thought South Africa's second half, particularly, were just were just far too good. They were far too good in the second half, but sometimes. After a match, we rewrite Test Rugby and it all becomes so obvious. But you alluded to uh, the Lions not getting that first half score. Second half, 44 minutes, Pollard produces a beautiful piece of skill and execution and South Africa are in the lead. Owen, four minutes before half time, Henshaw gets so close to scoring a try from a lovely chip from Connor Murray. If that goes over... We're in a different world of rugby. It's everything. It's it's so marginal, isn't it? Yeah, I, you, I think you've introduced the what's called the touching at straws philosophy there, Barnsley, which uh, I've been thinking along these lines myself. But I, I I think it might be clutching at straws. But so 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 the point is the the Lions were slightly a nose ahead in the first half, and the as you say we rewrite history the 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 the, the box were they were sort of super bockish in the second half but they only got into into that dominant mode once the aerial game had been lost i i just wonder if a few more ba- balls had bounced the other way that it was it was only when only when the balls bounced their way that suddenly they got that that head of confidence and slipped up a gear and i i think i'm agreeing with you i i i wonder if a couple of different things might have sent it the other way well, are, are we um, are we ignoring the elephant in the room? Uh, you know, I hate to bring his name up too too early, but Razi Erasmus rant. Um, I mean, the two the two two major decisions went against the Lions in that first half. I mean, I've been covering rugby ever since I retired, and and you know the laws change all the time. But Cheslin Colby's challenge um, is uh, you know in in a lot of different competitions is a red card all day long. Um, and and that went against um, the Lions. And whatever you say, you know, I thought the referee handled the situation very, very well indeed. Took his time, as you'd expect. He actually got four camera angles this time on the on the challenge, as opposed to the one that the South African TV director has been giving previously. And uh, you know, and and he made a decision. But I have to say, it was um, you know, in in the games that I've covered, uh, that is a red card all day long, and that's not sour grapes or, or whinging after the event. It's it's just a fact. And then obviously the Henshaw score that wasn't a score. The referee thought that it was a no try, and that and and that was a a, a key kind of um, uh, you know decision that he made because it, the, the the TV the TMO then had to prove it against that. So I think when those two decisions go against you, you kind of uh, as as a South Africa kind of rode their luck on that. And the second half was almost like a, 
a pivot of, of what we saw last week where the, you know, the, the South Africans came out and, and just took the initiative straight away in that second half and, and then never looked back really. And, and Barnsley's right. There, there, there are fine margins, you know, South Africa down to 14 men, they're, they're, you know, their they're biggest attacking threat gone and, and the line's up by, I don't know, 10, 10 points. It's, it's a completely different test match. Owen, before we get back to the uh, main headline story, the lines and SA, TMOs, I, I've written this for so many years now, and yet people seem to be enthralled to what the officials say in the end. They are still television angles. They are not objective. They are subjective. I, I watched that Henshaw moment live, like everyone else, um, before writing yesterday. I watched the match a couple of times, and I've seen it 20 times, and 10 times I think, no, you got it right. 10 times I'm thinking it's a try. The Colby incident, I'm thinking, wow, don't send him off for that. Then I'm thinking, send him off for that. <sighs> Do we have to reassess uh, the power of the TMO? Because we're spending hours going absolutely nowhere. And, and whilst we may have been enthralled uh, as, as, as UK writers and South African fans would have been the same and their writers – if you were a Kiwi, you'd have watched that game and thinking, when the bloody hell is this going to end? Yeah, I, I think you've got to go back to um, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence's chum Razzie for, for, for that. Um, listen, we want, to, we want to get the decisions right. The problem with Saturday uh, was because there was so much pressure put on the rest by Razzie Erasmus that they had to do their ultimate to get everything right. So uh, I wrote this before the game. It's very rare I ever write anything before the game that actually happens, but I said it was going to be stop-start because everything's going to be referred to the TMO, and it was because they were just petrified of getting it wrong, and they had to try their utmost to get it right. So that ruined the game, and we had a 63-minute first half, and it was tedious, and it was stop-start, and that helped the Springboks because they could have a nice little breather every time uh, that happens. Um, yeah, it, it's. I mean, you just the, the 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 whole way that Saturday played itself out was was just ruinous for rugby. Terrible spectacle, um, uh, tedious, bad spirited, um, and yeah. So the, the TMO. I mean, yeah, maybe you should put TMOs on the clock or something. But I, I think I think you have to take Saturday out Saturday's game out of this sort of. What's the you know what's the the rights and wrongs of the TMO debate because it, it was an outlier you know you hopefully we're not going to get games like that again where there's so much pressure and and bile and um uh, and and poisonous build up beforehand that created what happened there and then look just I mean before we before we talk about the Springboks excellent and brutal and ruthless second half performance you know the the whole question of of some of the, the big decisions that have been made in, in this test series, you know, who decided that Maris Jonker should be the TMO for, uh, for, the, for the first test um, when he comes from the home country. I played in the first game of rugby where there was a TMO. Uh, it was in Pretoria. It was for England against South Africa. And he was indeed South African. And um, we won that test match with a perfectly legitimate try. And the poor bloke could not give the try because he lived 20 minutes from the stadium. And and can you imagine these? <laughs> can you imagine if there was fans in the stadium and these decisions were being made? Um, yeah. You know the pressure. The pressure. I mean, the pressure that he would have been under. And I, you know, and in, in some ways I laughed like you. And I thought, well, that's fine. But I mean, <clears throat> World Rugby at the time, or or uh, the IRB, or whatever you called them, were 
you know, that, that's what they thought. And then after that game, they suddenly thought, well, maybe it's not a good idea. Maybe, maybe it'd be better if it was independent because then, you know, it wouldn't be, you know, the game wouldn't be brought into question. And we actually went on to win the second test in Bloemfontein because that decision sort of angered and inspired us. But uh, how they can arrive 21 years later and this poor man, Marius Jonker, has been put in such a, a difficult position. I mean, the TMO, has, you know, has should be someone in my opinion of that's that's refereeing at test at test level right now you know it should be the same person who 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 might be a, a, a test referee i i just find it incredible really and and i still find it incredible that someone in in Erasmus's position can be allowed to uh, to behave the way he's behaved um you know to be a water boy but carry no water you know to be a uh, uh, to be posting um whether it's through your account or someone else's account or retweeting on social media and inciting kind of you know, proper hate and proper sort of uh, anger in your in in your fans globally. I think is just completely unacceptable. And the game of rugby talks about values, talks about respect. I mean, openly abusing an official, you know, a set of officials, it brings the integrity and respect in this game into serious question. And and someone somewhere, well, I don't know, it's Bill Beaumont or whoever it is, needs to step up because if every director of rugby or coach or player is allowed to do this, then. I think rugby's in a, in a very, very difficult situation. Lawrence, I, I hear what you're saying there about Razi Erasmus, but it is a question of degree. The first person who brought up the nationality of Marius Jonker was Warren Gatland. With, 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 with every right, with every right to do that. I mean, you know, but he, he, he didn't go and post it. So he just, he just asked the question, is it acceptable that we have a, a, a home official going into, you know, and that's, that's fine. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't have an issue with that because... I don't think um, that was just asking the question. Well, it was, Lawrence. He, he, he quite clearly made it public in a, in a brief way and with a smiling way to, to say, Marius, you better be straight. You know, last week, lol, uh, Sam Warburton made Warren Gatland our God of the Week because he agreed there was so much subtlety to the way Warren did it. Well, look, I, listen, all I would say, Barnes, is that the I think Razi Erasmus and actually Sia Khaleesi earned worldwide respect in Japan in 2019 for the way that they conducted themselves and the way that they coached their team and the way that they led their team. And I think there's a lot of people that left that World Cup thinking, well, you may have lost to the All Blacks in the opening game, but actually you guys have been brilliant throughout this tournament and you thoroughly deserve to be world champions. And I was one of them. That What they've done, the pair of them, I mean, yes, Warren Gatton, you know, lit the touch paper and was a bit sneaky with the first comment, but what, what he did, Razi Erasmus and his captain, I think, you know, wasn't just reaction, it completely overstepped the mark. And there was any respect that they earned on the field or what they did off the field, they've completely eroded, certainly in my mind. And that's fact. I'll tell you what I found really interesting here is if Eddie Jones had posted an hour's video complaining about refereeing decisions or, or indeed Andy Farrell on behalf of Ireland or Gregor Townsend on behalf of Scotland, I, I think that they would be vilified by their home media and by... Um, most of their their followers, but but here in South Africa, there's so much, there's such a body of goodwill for uh, for Razi that people are going, yeah, well done, Razi, you stuck up for us, you did you did the right thing. It, it, it's it's phenomenally one eyed, uh, and and there there is this there is this feeling. I, I found it a real education because I just assume that people will go, no, Razi, that's not how you behave. You know, our, our, our mums taught us to, to 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 lose well and with grace and. And you're you're um you're disobeying not just the laws of rugby, but how we're brought up to behave as human beings. But uh, I, I've just been astonished by this gulf of of interpretation between 
what I thought people, how what they would react and, and, and how, some, how a, a very large body of South African, South African media have, have approached this. Anzi, wasn't there, a, uh, wasn't there an incident some time ago where a South African fan ran on the pitch and, and sort of tried to attack the referee? Can you imagine if, if there'd been fans in that stadium? And I just think, you know, with all the spotlight on social media now and, you know, I mean, I, I don't necessarily get too engaged in it all really, but it becomes very toxic. When, whenever a team wins or loses, whether it's in football, rugby, in any sport, you go on social media, there is clearly two sides to every story. And one side will be, it'll be, be lovely and smelling of roses and the other side will be so toxic and so poisonous um, that you don't even want to engage in it. And I just wonder... If, if World Rugby are happy for, for some of our leading uh, coaches to, to behave in that way, then, uh, then, then I, I'm, I think more shame on World Rugby, quite frankly, because what he's done is he's created this whole poisonous kind of toxic situation. Yes, ultimately, South African fans will say, well, what he did was right, because to Owen's point, the first half lasted longer than his, than his hour-long rant. Um, and, and every decision was analysed in the minutiae. And actually, on this occasion, South Africa got the rub of the green on pretty much every decision. So, you know, maybe, maybe he, he was right, but it doesn't make it right. I think, Lawrence, I don't disagree with what you say, but it's a question of degree. And I think, you know, when Owen says there's a lot of one-eyed journalism in South Africa, let's not kid ourselves, you know, Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, there's a lot of journalists plumping for their own boys when it comes to the Lions selection. We're not innocent there. And, and that's why I made the point about Gatland. And, and when we talk about Erasmus... Okay, Barnsley, Barnsley, hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. We, we, I, I know we're not innocent there. And, and I know, I know that, that, um, home, that, that journalists are in rugby, in the Six Nations or whatever, are, are have, you know, some journalists are inclined towards their own country. I, I, I get that. But but do you think that if any of the Six Nations uh, coaches had posted a one-hour video like that, that they would have got support? No, no but that's why I said, Owen, it's a question of degree. I don't, and I, I, okay, I, yeah. don't, I don't condone it. It's a question of degree. But it's, it's, it, it weakens uh, the argument if we are guilty to any extent. And I think that applied to what Warren Gatlin knowingly did and cleverly did before the game when he brought up the subject of Marius Jonker in public. And I think when we talk about Razi Erasmus as a water boy, you can't hide from the fact that for Wales and the Lions, Neil Jenkins does it. And he's not coming on there because there's a, a neutral water boy they don't trust. He's coming on with instructions. So we do it as well. And, and, I think what we have to do is acknowledge that it happens globally and that makes it easier for us to say, now, come on, World Rugby, let's get to grips with the degree that Erasmus has done it. I am um, On, the, on the, um, the, the water boy thing, I don't actually have a huge problem with it, but I just got one interesting thing to lob in. is Before coming out to South Africa, I was, I was researching a um, profile I was writing with Jack Nineba, the, head, the South African head coach. And I spoke to Jerry Flannery um, who is now the Harlequin, a Harlequins coach, but he, but he, um, earned his spurs as a young coach at Munster when, um, Nineveh and, uh, and Razzi were there. And one thing that, um, that Flannery said, he said, you gotta, you gotta see if Nineveh is still carrying the water. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he carried the water for Munster and he carried the water for the Springboks at the World Cup. And he said, he said, don't underestimate what that means. He is absolutely brilliant when he does it. That, the messaging and the accuracy of, of, of the information he's trying to transfer, he says it, it really does make a difference. I'd never really considered it as a sort of a game-changing thing, but but this is what Fannery was saying. It is. It's really important to outcome. Lawrence, would the game be better 
with water boys having to be under the age of 14 and not being able to communicate with coaches. Because I, I as, a, as a player, and that's a long time ago, it would have driven me mad. What I loved about rugby, you have coaches, you have game plans, you structure things, you get out on the pitch, and if the other team are not doing as you expect, you've got to work a way around it. And to be honest, South Africa overwhelmed the Lions physically and were able to do so. The Lions in the first test just outmuscled them. We've seen England teams with Eddie Jones and we've seen Wales teams from Warren Gatland. Where it hasn't been able to work physically, they have just subsided because they can't think for themselves on the pitch. Lawrence, do we need to try to somehow just cut the influence of, of this link between coaching and on-field playing? Well, I think so, yes. I mean, you know, as we all know, the best teams are coach-led, of course. You know, you go in with, with a game plan, but that game plan is executed by the players and it's player-driven. Yeah. And when you come off the pitch at half-time, whether you're playing for your local team or you're playing for your national team on the British and Irish Lions, you know instinctively as you're running down the tunnel the three or four reasons why you're either winning the game or why you're losing the game. And uh, and of course, they're fine margins and you don't need to sit down. And I mean, all this stuff about oh, what did you say at half-time coach and all that nonsense. I mean, you know... <laughs> The coach says one or two things, but equally so, you know, the players say, because the players are the ones that have actually got to go out and, and execute it in the second half. And and that's why, you know, if we get on to the rugby for a second, I mean, South Africa weren't great in that first, in that first half. Uh, the Lions should have been um, credit in the bank um, by half time. They weren't. And obviously that gives a bit of a momentum to the team running down the tunnel because South Africa goes, you know what, we haven't played well yet. And, and, and yet we're still in this game. And I just thought, you know, I speak to Warren Gatland quite regularly, even, even throughout this trip, um, and uh, and we and we've known all along that the aerial battle was going to be key to the outcome of of the game. It always is with South Africa. I mean, I you know I played a drinking game with Ben Kay in the in the World Cup because we had a day off from ITV, and, and we'd worked really hard the, the day before. New Zealand, um, Australia, and um, New Zealand, England was enough to exhaust you, but. We, we, we went along to the Wales-South Africa semi-final and we thought, you know what, we'll have a bit of fun here and we'll have a, we'll have a few drinks lined up for every time there's a box kick that goes up in the air. Well, there were 64 box kicks in the game and we needed uh, a coach each to, to, to carry us out of there, really. It was, uh, it was ridiculous. So the aerial battle was, was key and I thought last week... Lawrence, was that why you failed to show up for the Ruck recording of the next day? <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even know there was a Ruck recording the next day. <laughs> was, was that the day when you, you said that the, 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 the Japanese train system had, had broken? <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly, yes. Um, Sorry, carry on. No, 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 not at all. The the aerial battle was always going to be key, and I thought last week um, we 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 won the majority of of those you know contests in the air. You know, last Saturday we were we were blown out of the sky, and and I'm sure that there'll be implications and, and and consequences of in selection as a result of that because you know, no matter who you are, that South Africa will play exactly the same way. Um, and therefore, that has to happen. Defence was a, was another key area. In the first test, actually, it was us that was giving away the majority of the penalties, particularly in that first half. This time round, it was actually you know the reverse. But we uh, we ended up <clears throat> on the wrong side of that. You know, the the battle of the breakdown, massive. And I have to say, you know, the set piece, which you always know, you know, if you do any of your homework against South Africa. Your scrum, your line out, all of that has got to be strong. And I mean, we were just beaten in the four main areas, really. Barnsley, so, so, so Lawrence had it. We lost it in the air. Um, uh, and, and as you say, Warren Gatlin knew it was going to be fought in the air. So if, if we knew all that beforehand, 
Why did he pick Stuart Hogg ahead of Liam Williams? Um, it's an interesting one, and I've been thinking about this because uh, th- there's no justification, but Gatlin's like the rest of us, he's human and errors are made. If you're not going to utilise a counter-attacking fullback, then you might as well go Williams. Although, having said that, uh, the length of Hogg's boot is immensely greater than that of uh, Liam Williams. And so the Lions could easily have said, well, actually, what we're going to do, not everything goes high, but when it doesn't go high, it goes long, and Hogg could fit that bill. As it was, the Lions weren't taken to the cleaners under the South African ball in the first test. And I think because they came out on top in the boot battle of the boots, there's often a danger that you think, let's do it again. In 1993, and I know we're going back... But it's the same principle. The Lions thumped New Zealand in two or three areas in the second test. And I remember talking to Ian McGeekin uh, midweek before the third test. I was tasked with being the New Zealand attack. And they brought a bloke called Lee Stensness in, left-footed centre with a little grubber kick. And, and we started doing these little chips to stop uh, Scott Gibbs uh, and Jerry rushing up. And they go, no, no, the New Zealand don't do that. And I said, well, it's different players. They'll just shift their game. But even McGeekin got caught in this mindset of, we won the second test doing this way. We can do the same. And effectively, I think that is what happened. And that explains the selection of Hogg. And, and also, Owen Lawrence, watching it back again, I, I think the most, Fatal moment for the Lions was when Dan Bigger, you realise, had reverted to old type. And David Welsh in yesterday's Sunday Times got it right. He described it as uh, uh, going back into the shotgun like a quarterback. When a fly half does that, that means the back line, uh, any forward carriers of power are going nowhere. The Lions were so far behind the game line for so much of that match that South Africa just looked at it and they thought, hey, There's no option. If you watch the first 20 minutes, Pollard actually ran a lot more then than he did for the rest of the game. But by by carrying towards the game line, at least, he interested the Lions in a way that the Lions did not interest the defensive strategy of South Africa. And I I just thought, Lawrence, captain extraordinaire for many years, you have a game plan, you think you know how you can beat a team, but you have to have variety. And, and I think variety went out of the window for the second test. Yeah, I mean, I, when you look at the stats, and I'm not, I'm not never a stats man because you don't need to look at the stats. They just confirm how bad, you know, it's like doing an exam and you know you've been terrible or you know you've been very good and, and the result just confirms it. But the, the Lions per carry made one and a half metres per carry against the Springboks. And, and that's the lowest in, uh, in, against any, in any test match for quite some time. Um, we don't possess any carrying threat at the moment in our forward pack. Um, Mako Vunapola tried his hardest. Occasionally, Courtney Laws, certainly in the first test, was excellent. But second test, he was, he, he was marked out of the game. And Ty Furlong, to a degree, gets, gets a little metre here and there. But we don't have those, those ball carriers and that ball carrying threat. And therefore, we resorted to kicking our way out, you know, kicking our way forward. Um, and ultimately, as you said, Barnsley, you need that little bit of variety. So... I don't know. He's got to come up with some selections, Gatlin, that's going to give him some real ball-carrying threat because uh, he's missing one or two key players, I think, um, that would that you need to trouble the South Africans. Who's he missing, Lawrence? I mean, it sounds like you're describing a, a, a good 
sort of uh, 2016 version of Believe in a Polar? Or well, some, someone like that, were, you know, and listen, I, I'm not meaning anything disparaging to anyone who's been picked, but I do think he's got a captain in the second row who, who's got all the heart, soul and, and desire, but is, is physically not quite, not, not quite at the races, um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, he's got in Jack Conan, he's, he's got a player who, uh, who, who certainly hasn't done anything wrong, um, but he's not, he's not going to break through four or five spring blocks and, and, and get, you know, get in behind the South African defence. So, um, you know, and I, I do think they're lacking one or two big ball carriers. And I, and I think it, it, it nullifies it because you've got to remember that the South Africans themselves defensively are excellent. You know, they don't, they don't give you much at all. Um, and those, those little moments in test matches against that type of opposition can, can be all the difference really. So uh, they've got to, they've got to think a little bit differently about how they, how they, manipulate the South African defence, which is what the All Blacks do superbly. Let's not forget the All Blacks won, you know, that game in, in the World Cup by, by kicking. You know, they're two two excellent kicks which resulted in tries. Um so not suggesting you've got to you it's got, it's all about the ball carrying, but it's that variety that, that becomes really important. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Exactly, this is what I was coming on to now. We, Owen started the selection debate. They beat them by kicking, Lawrence, uh, and Richie Moranga said, you know, you don't run into the midfield against defences like the South Africans, but they didn't just kick. And Moranga got flat 
and occasionally he darted, occasionally he he used forward, often he kicked and caused mayhem because South Africa didn't know where the threat was coming from. Dan Bigger did exactly as he was asked to do, and he, in fact, he kicked quite well. The quality of the kicking wasn't bad, but it was the variety of the game that didn't work. Now, already I'm seeing a, a big call for Owen Farrell to come back in. But what we're what Lawrence is talking about, Owen, what you've been saying about variety, what I've been saying, if the Lions are going to win this, guys, is this the time they need to gamble? And frankly, they have to look at a, a 10 who can do something different because I don't think the series can be won at scrum half can it be won as opposed to lost at fly half with either Finn Russell or, dare I say it, even Marcus Smith going there? I'll put it out first of all. I'm South Africa might get to Russell and they might flatten him and it could be horrible. But on the flip side, Russell might have one of those days where he's a little bit flatter. He asks questions of their back three and he tears them apart like Richie Moanga. Is it a matter of saying, let's not take risks or let's gamble? I'm, I'm going to go gamble this camp. Lawrence, what are you doing on this one? Well, what I'm doing is, is um, I mean, I, listen, I, 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 I completely agree that there, that there has to be some sort of di- different shift in thinking. But that doesn't mean you've got to completely change the way that you play. Um, there are some principles when you play South Africa that need to be enforced and reinforced. And your scrum line out more. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you've got Stuart Barnes, Dan Bigger, you know, Finn Russell um, or anyone playing at 10. If you're getting pumped up front, um, you know, you, 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 you've got a very difficult job on your hands. And, and actually, you start to have to gamble a bit more because the limited ball you do get, you feel like you, you've got to make the best use of. Um, the selection is not just about 10, although 10 is a big part of that, I agree. But the, principally, we've got to sort out what's going on up front. Um and uh, you know, there's some big selections there. They they need their their strongest scrummaging front row because clearly the South Africans have, have, have recognised that that's an area that that they got started to get on top of. Um, our our line out was um, was got to. Um, Luke Karandiki looked shaky at best in that first test, and 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 you know even more shaky in the second test. Uh, and that you know you, you've got you got to recognise that the South Africans had put three of the most enormous you know line out jumpers out there. And that needs to be diffused as well. So, you know, yes, I agree. There's some serious questions at 10. There's some serious questions at, at um, in, in the back three um, because, you know, we can't have a performance like that again. I mean, they couldn't catch a cold between them. Um, I think Anthony Watson's probably the only person that survives out of that back three, um, if I'm honest. And uh, But the first first things first, against South Africa, you've got to stop, you know, their, their, their tight five. And, and that's a question that the forwards need to go and have a sit and think about. And Warren Gatlin will be thinking long and hard about who he selects in that area. Do you think South Africa will put more emphasis on the line out from the start, Lawrence? I mean, all series, I've been wondering about Luke Cowan Dickey. He's a tremendous player, but historically under pressure, they get to him. Now, there was a moment even in the first test when Etzebet started to focus and he caused problems there. And Ken Owens came on and I've got to say Ken's a, a, an admirable player but he's another one who has wilted under pressure and I mean I, I felt uh, I'd like to know what you think on this Owen the 
decision to ignore Jamie George is has been a very strange one on this tour as the lion with the the, the, the proven CV at throwing in. I don't think it was strange to ignore him because there were three really good hookers. So so whoever was ignored was um could, could you know was going to feel hard done by. Um, uh, and I thought Cameron Dickey did pretty well in the second test. Uh, but but I, I am I am sort of on my way to agreeing with you. I think you you need um uh not so much fresh legs, but you need you you need fresh minds who haven't been through this experience. And um uh and I and, and I think Jamie George is is almost the the, the kind of um the, the identical kind of uh experience internationally you'd want to have at this stage. So I would. I would definitely have him for him from the start. Uh, I don't know about the gamble at the gamble at ten. Just it just seems to me like um, uh, you've run out of ideas and, and, and you're, you're you know you're prepared to try anything now. It, um, I think everything the Lions worked have worked towards does not suggest Ben Russell. Maybe having him on the bench. Uh, I I I just they've got to do something different. And, and I just wonder the number of times that Lions were in attacking positions. They they could have. Kick four drop goals if they wanted to. I just wonder if they try something like just something different to, to keep them thinking. Lawrence, I look at the selection and um, I, I still go back to the fact that you know we won the first test on, on on five margins. We lost the second test, even though we got obliterated in the end on the scoreboard. It was still five margins, as we've discussed earlier on this pod. Um, you know, a complete three sixty on selection is not. It doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, we've just got to do the things that <clears throat> we know we can do much better. You know, if if you can't defuse the aerial battle, you are going to spend the large parts of that game in your own half. And that's exactly what happened, particularly in the second half. And then you start to concede penalties and then the st- scoreboard starts to go against you, etc. When you do have key moments in the game, um, as we did on the, uh, on the South African line, you know, and you threw the ball to the back of the line and it gets turned over, you sort of throw your hands up in the air and think, we've got to make more of those moments. So I'm not about to go um, completely panic mode, um, but there will be consequences of that performance. And I, and I hope, and I know Warren Gatlin well, and I, you know, as, and we all know him well, actually. Uh, he's not afraid to make the big calls. He made some bold selections in that first test. Um, and as Owen pointed out, everyone was rooting for their own their own their own players from their own country and sort of questioning why certain players weren't in. As it turned out, those selections proved to be good ones because, you know, by, by no other thing than the, the Lions won the test match. You know, had had the Lions lost the test match, you know, all of us would have been uh, lacerating him for picking certain players. We we are now doing exactly the opposite of that because we've lost a test match against the Springboks. Um and so it's, I think it's a fine margin. But I think Gatland, as we've seen on previous Lions tours, He's certainly not afraid to make the big calls, um, you know, and it'd be question, you know, is he going to pick Alan Wynne-Jones again? Um, you know, is, is, is Alan Wynne-Jones the right man to start the third test in terms of the energy or, or should he partner Courtney? You know, people will kill me in Wales for saying that, but the reality is that's nothing against Alan Wynne-Jones, but the reality is that there's some big selection calls that need to be made. And, uh, and Gatlin, from from previous experiences, is, is, is not afraid of that. Right or wrong, he made three from a winning team. Uh, and I'm I'm certainly not advocating the Lions panic because, as I said earlier in this podcast, fine margins altered that game hugely. And I'm not envisaging South Africa winning this game by 30 points, but they do have the momentum at the moment. And I think, you know, guys, I don't know, I, I'm sort of looking at a, a possibility of about three changes. And, and I'm sort of thinking three key men who can make a difference. So, 
while I give you my three men who might make a difference, can you just think and, and, and briefly come up with who yours are and why? I'm going to go, as I said, Jamie George, because I think the line-out is so important. It enables De Klerk and Pollard to dictate, take that away from them. You have to do if you're going to win the series. So your best thrower with experience. Um, like Lawrence, I wish he hadn't said it, but I think Alan Wynne-Jones gives you leadership and he gives you Hoyle and all this, but the Lions have got to find an extra pair of legs to carry into South Africa. And be that uh, Laws moving to six and Byrne coming in, something has to happen there. Um, and so I think he's left out. And if Price doesn't get the starting berth, there's the question of will Maro Atoji end up captured in the Lions? And I don't think Gatlin would be afraid to do that. And finally, I think if he's fit, and ready to go. Russell, he, he said he will play the pattern. Now, what fly half say and what they do are two different things. But I think you actually need a fly half who can burst out of the structure. You need somebody who can just say, look, the shape of this isn't working. I'll do something. Owen Farrell in the last two years has shown he's a man who plays within the pattern. So is Dan Bigger. You have to go somewhere else. So there are my three men to change it. Courtney Laws move into second row with Burning, Jamie George, and Finn Russell. Owen Slot, your three. We're going to change almost the whole team by the end of this. Well, the I mean the, the first one, the first and the and the obvious change is um, fullback, which I think it sounds like we've all agreed on. Um, I've got uh, so Liam Williams and Stuart Hogg. Uh, I, I'd I'd like to change the number eight. Um, uh, Jack Conan Lawrence has said this already. Jack Jack Conan, um, all heart and soul, but um, I think he had eight carries and made a total of three metres on um, Saturday. It's not quite good enough. Uh, Falatau's got something different. Um, I think probably better feet. He can maybe appear in uh, different parts of the pitch on the wider channels. He's good, good as well. Uh, just bring, will bring a different sort of threat. Um, you want one more, don't you? Well, the, the, I think the obvious one they do need is they need Wynne Jones to be fit. Start Wynne Jones at, um, at Loosehead, have Mako coming off the bench. That's a far better balance. You start off with your better scrummager and then Bring on your world-beating, um, uh, all-court handling prop to uh, to apply the coup de grace in the last minute. There you are, job done. Simple, Lawrence. I'll start in my area of, sp- of specialism, the back three, um, and I think you do make more changes. Um, I think you, you change two of those back three. Um, I, I think Josh Adams comes in, um, and I think uh, Liam Williams comes in. I'd like to see Liam Williams and Anthony Watson um, interchangeable at fullback and wing because Liam Williams is as good on the wing as he is at fullback. Um, and vice versa, and I think Anthony Watson plays a, a lot better with with someone like a you know so, someone like that around him. You know, I just think that's that gives us and and listen, we will get few few scoring opportunities, but what Josh Adams has shown throughout his international career, right from the minute he started, is he, he doesn't need very many to get a try. Whether it's a kick across field, whether it's you know a pass or whatever, he's a he's I don't know, he's just a, a try scoring machine. So I'd, I'd make two changes to the back three because I don't think they can. Hogg and Van der Merwe, I'm not sure they get their confidence back in the space of a few days. Um, no so I, I, I don't think you can afford just to make one change. And unfortunately, that only leaves me with one more that I'm allowed to change. But um, I mean, the front row has to be sorted out. Now, whether that's one or two changes uh, is, is down to Gatlin. I mean, Wynne Jones, um, you know, you have to flip that back. And it's not that I don't think Vanapola can scrummage because I think he can. There was two decisions could have easily gone the Lions way and didn't. Um, uh, when you saw the other TV camera angle, um, but 
I think it's the picture towards the refereeing team that you need to change. And um, they had it in the first half, uh, in the first test. They didn't have it in the second test. And then, and unfortunately, only a couple of selection uh, changes will, will change the picture to the refereeing team. So I think the front row is um, it needs to be resolved. And whether that's a, a loose head, which it definitely does need to be, or whether it's loose head and hooker is, is a moot point. But uh, I can't make any more changes. Otherwise, I've literally... I'm like the Grim Reaper. Lawrence, you can if you want, because I'm invoking the 1997 second test ruling, which says anyone who plays that well can have one more pick if he so chooses. Well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna dodge the the, the leave Alan Wynne Jones out question <laughs> because, <laughs> you, because I think you I think the subjects are. I know I did. I know I did. And then think, run well, away. But listen, I played at the age that Alan Wynne Jones is, and well, I think I did, or certainly very close to it. And I knew that my game was run by about fifty minutes, even fully fit, and therefore I came off at pretty much every game at fifty minutes. I don't understand how you can still be out there at the end of the game, um, and so therefore I think there is a. But I think Gatlin's gone down that route now, and I don't. I think reversing it would be psychologically traumatic. So I don't think that's going to happen, uh, or or necessarily. It's it's almost too much of an impact on the team to happen. But uh, I do I do agree in the, in the back row we need we need some change, and um, we we weren't competitive enough at the breakdown. Um, and uh, I would say that you know Falatau certainly needs to come back into the reckoning. And and again, I'm not I'm not being. Uh, disparaging to anyone who's been picked. I think they've all done magnificently well. I just think things need to be freshened up. They've had two very tough test matches um, and, uh, you know, they, they need to freshen things up and, and get that new impetus into the team. If they make changes in the second row, if I get hung out to dry by taking Lawrence on with his Alan Wynne-Joneses out and putting Courtney Laws and Burning, so they've got three line-out forwards. All of Scotland has been bemoaning the fact we never mentioned Hamish Watson. Lawrence Owen has been talking about the fact we got done at the breakdown. Can Watson take his Six Nations form through to that level and just be something different, fresh, bursting to get out there? Is he worth a start instead of Tom Curry? I, I, just, I, I raise the question because it seems to me that our listeners, the paper's readers, Everyone is talking about Hamish Watson and we've been notably quiet. Is is this his moment? I don't know. I mean, he, he, I can I can see, uh, obviously there's an argument. I think Tom Curry's been a bit six and a half out of ten in the last two test matches. You know, not 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 um, the hit of form that we've seen him, got used to him hitting regularly for England where he's, you know, normally seven and a half, eight. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I, I've got... Um, I, 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 this might sound like an, an, an Englishman answering, and, and I, I really hope that no one thinks that. But I've just seen so many great performances from Tom Curry, I th- I, and, and he, he is a bigger, harder, physically more imposing player. I just still think that he's the right man for, for this game. Yeah, I think if you ask if you ask neutrals who, don't, who haven't played Test rugby, a lot of people go Hamish Watson. Um, when when you ask people who play rugby, they go, "There's not a lot to choose between the two of them," but. Tom Tom Curry is is one hell of a player because he's you know he's he's got he's got a lot more to his game. Um, although I wasn't thinking that when he gave away the first two penalties of the first test. Uh, <laughs> but the reality is that 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 that's all. That's the only way I can describe it. Right? I mean, I I, I understand why there's a that there's a wave of support for Hamish Watson. Um, but when you when you when you've played there at the coalface and you and you play Test rugby, you go. That is the guy, not that guy. And sometimes it is a look. We can make a case for for lots of players, you know. But Warren Gatlin ain't going to change fifteen players, is he? 
So we've got to we've got to pick the ones that he's going to that he has to change that are actually going to influence the game. I, I think you know, yes, Hamish Watson could play, um, and uh, and I think he'd do a great job, uh, and so can Tom Curry. But who's going to actually change the course of this Test series? And and we have to come up with those selections. So uh, I think by and large, we've we've had a go at nearly every position. Uh, <laughs> the centre partnership is one we've maybe missed out, but. I think there'll be some big, big calls. There's going to be a big call in the second row. There's going to be a big call in the front row. There's certainly a big call in the back three. And to Barnsley's question, is there a big call at 10? Um, I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Um, but equally, we've got to have something on the bench because what was distinctly recognisable in this second test was that uh, in the first test, Gatlin had all the momentum and the answers off the bench and every single player added to the performance. I think... The flip was 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 exactly what happened in the, in the second test. Every single South African player that came off the bench actually lifted the performance. And Gatlin, unfortunately, for whatever reason, looked at his bench and they didn't quite have the same impact. So it's not just the starting fifteen. We we need that momentum coming off the bench as well. And maybe a maybe a game changer on the bench is is, is a good thing as well. If Finn Russell's not fit, then that could be something as radical uh, and I don't think Gatlin will be scared as to put Marcus Smith on the bench because Farrell comes on. He's used to chasing games. Isn't yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Farrell, and, he, and he's fearless and everything's going his way. It hasn't gone Farrell's way as a 10. So if Gatlin goes that way, that does make sense. Right, guys, two last questions now. The momentum has shifted. It's with South Africa at the moment. Owen, can the, will the Lions rest it back? And I want your Who's going to win and by the margin? Oh, God, I'm just going to come over like Captain Miserable. I'm struggling to see how the, the Lions get this one back. I keep on telling myself, if you look at, there's been four halves of rugby and it's kind of two all. So, you know, maybe they could do, but I I, I feel this momentum shift and I think the, the the box have got more improvement in them. They're, they're getting stronger more than the Lions. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think the, the Springboks will do it. I think they'll do, do it by more than one score. And I just, just hope that we don't go away hating the game like I did after last Saturday. Let let, let it be a glorious victory rather than a spirit-sapping one. Okay, Lawrence? Well, listen, for the not just for the sake of the Lions, um, and listen, these guys are doing it for themselves and for all their fans back home, but for the sake of rugby, the Lions have to win next week because, you know, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks are, are just not, is not, is left of a really bad taste in the mouth and uh, you know so I, but they have to make it personal as well they really do and and I think they can win um, I think they uh, you know if I'm looking at our back row I'm thinking surely we've got to be able to outplay their back row I mean come on please really you've got a guy who's played sevens who's only you've got Detroit's not going to be playing Detroit's not going to be playing and you've got you know Look, Smith can I just interrupt a sec uh, Dwayne Vermeulen is back in camp and they're talking about him starting. I mean, he's a great player. Yeah. I think there's weaknesses in that, in that Springbok team um, uh, and, and, and the Lions have yet to exploit it. So I'd be very confident. You know, I, I always say to people um, who maybe haven't played rugby at the highest level, they just say, look, belief is the most important thing you need. You know, before a ball's even been kicked, you need to believe you can win. That is the most important thing about winning. And if the Lions believe... You know, there is plenty for, for me as, a, as, a, as an independent. I think there's plenty to go at in that Springbok team. You know, yes, we've all written them up as invincible and school bullies and brilliant and brutal. 
but there is a lot of vulnerability that's yet to be exposed. And uh, if they can, be, if they believe that, then they can go and expose that. So I think the Lions um, have got a great chance of winning, and I think they will win. So that's one all. I'll just say, with a, a week between tests, it's a long time. Um, much could happen there. I don't think South Africa are a great team. I think the fact that Vermeulen's back in the squad tells you their recognition of, of the problems they've got in their back row. Will the Lions do it? They can, but I don't think so. I think with Pollard uh, and De Klerk to steer them, they'll just have a little bit too much. But I think it'll be less than a score, four or five points, um, which brings us finally on the ruck to our regular feature. Um, God of the Week, gentlemen, is being replaced today by Devil of the Week. We're going into um, Miltonic Overdrive, and we're thinking about fallen angels, and you can go anywhere you want. You can even mention Steve Jones, who's not here, if you so choose, Owen. Owen Slot, your Devil of the Week, or Demon. Demon of the Week. Barnsley, what a great, what a great innovation you've got there, because there's just such a small field at the moment, isn't there? I mean, how are we going to think of one when there's been so few people <laughs> that uh, would qualify for Demon of the Week? Uh, I've got um, my mind spinning for a bit. Lawrence, do you have a, a surprise contender or an obvious contender? Yeah, well, it's obvious, isn't it, really? I mean, I'm I'm not one to, to criticise authority because, um, you know, it's, it's it's not my place, really. But I, I think the Demon of the Week or the Devil of the Week... Um, has to be world rugby you know they've they've remained silent um on on all issues thus far whether it's you know appointment of tmo whether it's uh you know a num- you know the social media rants or whatever and i just think if we are to to have credibility and respect in the game then the governing body have to uh, stamp some authority on this now whether they w- whether they will do after the test series uh is it remains to be seen but uh you know it's it, leadership is so important. We've seen it in the last 18 months across the world. You know, there are good leaders and there are great leaders. And uh, the ones who stay silent in moments of crisis uh, and in moments of panic are, are not great leaders. So uh, World Rugby, please step forward and show some leadership. Lovely. Owen? Okay, well done, Lawrence. I, I, I agree with all that. Okay, my, my demon of the week is um, this exciting, mysterious villain of the, uh, of the Lions series. Um, JJ or Yako Johan, the mysterious <laughs> Twitter account, um, who uh, who sounds very much like uh, Razzy Erasmus with everything he says and puts out. You know, he's he's stalking this series. No one knows what he looks like. We'll probably never will. I mean, he's one of, he's one of the great rugby villains of uh, sporting villains of all time. So Yako Johan, congratulations! Uh, you you kept us on our toes. I probably had breakfast. You're probably in the breakfast room with me this morning. I wouldn't even, wouldn't even have known. So um. So, so good man. Thank you. Demon of the week. I do like Yako Johan as well. I mean, he, he's very much a, a sort of pre-apartheid South African James Bond villain, isn't he? Yako <laughs> Johan. He, he's got some minds deep in Africa somewhere and who knows what he's doing. I'm going to go biblical on mine. One of the great angels of the game who we all love and have done for years has been Chesling Colby. I even gave him nine and a half in a pre-match test uh, rating for the first test. And naughty Cheslin comes along and gets away without getting the yellow card. He's grabbing people by the throat. He's chopping them off midair. He's showing that the gap between good and evil isn't much. So it's Cheslin Colby, who deep down, folks, I still love. He is my demon of the week. Uh, That's just about it from the ruck. Owen, you'll be back with Steve in the week. 
I assume. Yeah, I need to drag Steve off to a vineyard. I think so. I'm not. I'm not sure where. We're, may, I tell you, maybe we could record from the uh, the Dutoit vineyard because they make some um some uh, some fantastic uh, red wine. So yeah, I'll take um I'll take because uh, Peter Steph won't be playing at the weekend, so maybe he can he can entertain us on his vineyard. Yeah, nice idea. Thanks. Uh, and Lawrence, thanks very much. You and I will just drink the stuff. Well, Barnsley, I mean, you know, we're we're very good at doing that after victory, but I mean, as Napoleon once said, you need to drink after defeat as well as victory. <laughs> Well, here's to that. Goodbye, everyone. That's us from the ruck. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.